Well, we are working our way through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been doing that over the last uh, three weeks now, and uh, if you've been coming, we know you know that uh, this past week we hit one of the biggies. Uh, Brent preached on uh, the first half of chapter two of Ephesians, and it's this grand account of uh, God reconciling people who were dead in sin to himself, and we're going to pick up on the passage uh, after that uh, where Paul continues to expound on this grace uh, that's offered in the gospel. And, you know, the book of Ephesians, is we're excited to be studying it because it is about uh, life in the church and how the church relates to the world around it. So it's a really great book to be studying as kind of a new church. Uh, but the first half of this book, we're calling it Grace Changes Everything because the first half is focused on the grace. And this morning is another big passage in terms of just the explanation of the depth of the grace of God in Christ. So if you would stand with me, uh, and I'll read for us our passage this morning, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you were fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, the word of the Lord. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, would you send your spirit to apply it to our hearts and change us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we started uh, this chapter last week, and uh, as I said before, Brent covered this idea of us being reconciled to God, so our vertical relationship to the Lord, and he talked about how we were dead in sin, that we were without hope, and yet God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, uh, reconciled us to himself by grace. And this morning we're going to look at kind of the next component of that, which is our horizontal relationships. And the cross has something to say not only about our relationship to God, but with, about our relationships with everyone around us, and I don't have to convince you that we need this badly, I don't think. Like, don't we live in a divided time? I've heard a lot of people over the last few years uh, say things like, I can't remember things being as divided as they are 
now. Surely politics and political dynamics have something to do with that today. It's not just in America, it's all over the world this kind of phenomenon is happening. Uh, I've heard from a couple different friends in the last few weeks tell, lamenting to me that they had a friendship, it was a good friendship, and then an election happened and they fell on different sides and maybe something was said and it was just like, yeah, and so we don't really talk anymore. You know, the, re the relationship is just kind of over even though we were once really good friends. Uh, our country also has a loneliness epidemic at the moment. Uh, this past week, the Surgeon General of the United States actually laid out a six-pillar plan uh, to deal with the epidemic of loneliness in our country because the epidemic of loneliness contributes to deaths of despair and it contributes to mental health issues and it's a real problem in our country today uh, that there are so many who are alienated from those around them and live most of their lives alone. And, you know, if you think about, like, what a far cry from what life was supposed to be like. What a far cry from the harmony of life with God in the Garden of Eden that we read about in the beginning of Genesis. And if you read that account, uh, sin enters into a world that was harmonious, and the result, one of the first big consequences is that a brother murders his brother. Cain kills Abel, and if you remember that account, God comes to Cain, and he says, where's your brother? And Cain gives this sneering response. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And isn't that the attitude that continues on in our world today as we live amongst the people around us and yet there's such division and such just carelessness about the people around us. Uh, and so what I want us to see this morning is that Christ is not just the power for reconciliation with God, although that's of the utmost importance, but Christ's death has something to say about the people around us and our relationship with them and our ability to reconcile with anyone that we might all worship together. So I want to look at it the way Paul looks at it. You know, Paul is a legal, he was a Jewish legal scholar before he met Jesus, and so he's very, like, systematic, and if you're a linear thinker, you'll appreciate this. He, like, lays out really uh, just logical arguments, and in this passage, he goes, he says, you were, and then he says, but now, and then he concludes by saying, so then. So I'm just gonna, maybe I should do this way for you. Um, so I'm going to do the same thing. You were, but now, so then. So first of all, you were. And he speaks of the alienation that existed in the past of these Ephesian Christians, these Christians that lived in Ephesus. And he says, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And what he's drawing on is this division that existed at that time between Jews and Gentiles. And let me tell you, it was a stark division. It was marked by this external marker, of, which was circumcision. Uh, but, you know, it just went both ways, and these groups detested each other. So much so that, like, they would use these terms, the, the circumcision, that was like a slur to them. And they just were divided in that way. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. If you'll remember, for instance, Abraham 
was a pagan moon worshiper when God called him. And God called Abraham so that Abraham's family might show forth God's goodness to the nations. Uh, But because Abraham's family is like us, uh, they began to use the good things they had as a way to keep others out. And so that's what happened. That was going on at that time. The division was very stark. And meanwhile, we've got these Ephesians. And Ephesus was a major city. It was a pagan city. It's known for its, its temple to, the, to Artemis. And so they're worshiping Artemis there. And what I want us to see is like there was, I want you to just notice how unlikely it was that People in a city like Ephesus would ever come to know the living God. Uh, A while back, uh, back when we lived in New England, my wife Maggie and I were driving on a road trip through Vermont, and our daughter was really young. She was still nursing, and our daughter was needing to nurse, and we're driving on this country road kind of in the middle of nowhere, and we're needing to stop and find a place to nurse. And I say, I'm just going to pull over here on the shoulder. And my wife... Uh, says something like, why don't we just wait, why don't we just pull off at like an actual place, like an exit? And I scoff at her reasonable suggestion and pull over right there, landing our car in a snowbank. You know, the road was kind of banked down, so I couldn't tell, the snow was actually piled up really high, but I couldn't tell that. And so our car just, like, we're in there. Like, uh, I'm, you know, I spin the wheels a few times. We're not going anywhere. I'm starting to feel like a real heel at that point and uh, get out. And I kind of like dig with my hands a little bit, which is not effective. And I'm just like, and there's no cars on this road. And I'm just like, we're, we're going to spend the night out here. Like, we're not going anywhere. But then a truck does pull up, and it's like this New England lumberjack guy. He's got like the plaid shirt, and uh, he's got the truck. They got the chains. He says, you need to get towed out. And I'm like, yes, we do. And we're not going anywhere unless you, and for him, it's like, you know, it takes like 30 seconds, and he's got our car out of there. And what I want us to see is that, you know, that's us. Like the likelihood of any of us coming toward God is like, it, it was never going to happen. Like the probability of that was very, very low. Uh, at our old church, uh, before we moved here, there, uh, when I was new at our church, uh, I was kind of getting to know people and looking around and trying to figure out this church that I was in. And there was a, I noticed uh, there were Sunday school classes for all ages at this church. And so there was like a high school Sunday school class. And I noticed that it was taught by an elderly, like not, el- like kind of older couple. And I thought to myself, huh, like they're kind of older couple, they're teaching, high- like don't, wouldn't it be better if like young, cool, like a young, cool couple taught high school? Or I was wondering about that. And, and then one night we were out and I got, we ran into this kind of older couple that taught the high school Sunday school class. And they, we got to talking and the man said, he said, have I ever told you my testimony? And I said, no. And he said, he, he began to lay out this testimony of, you know, really broken past, became a drug user, drug dealer, was a really successful drug dealer, lived a very depraved life, was like going the opposite way of God, and things were not good, and then he kind of hit a rock bottom point, and 
Uh, at that point, someone invited him into a Bible study, and then he got invited into the church, and then he met a woman, his now wife, who had grown up in a church, and his life was just like 180 degrees different than it had been. And then he concluded his story by saying, and that's why I teach high school Sunday school, because I don't want any of those kids to turn out like me. And I had this realization, I was just like, oh, like, it's effective because he actually loves these kids. Like, he cares about them, and his care for them is rooted in who he once was. It is rooted in the fact that he has a love that comes from not wanting anyone else to have the life that he once had. And you might say to yourself, well, I'm, I've never been a drug dealer before and never thought about worshiping Artemis before, but, you know, think about the odds of anyone like you ever coming to know God. You know, let's say you're an, you have Northern European ancestry. I don't know if that applies to anyone in this room, but let's just assume some of us have Northern European ancestry. Well, that would mean that you could descend from people like the Celts and the Picts and the Angles and the Saxons. Uh, these are people who worshipped a pantheon of nature gods through priests called Druids who practiced all kinds of deviant sexual rites. These were a people group that sometimes practiced human sacrifice. They were a people that when the Romans got up there, it freaked out the Romans who were not like that close to God either. And if that's your ancestry, then that's where you come from. And 2,000 years ago, if you were to predict, could a descendant of these people come to know the living God? The answer would be absolutely not. It shouldn't happen. Think about your own selfish story. Think about all the choices you made that could have taken you even farther down a path, but somehow God prevented it. Okay? And so... In response to that, Paul gives the one command in the whole first three chapters of Ephesians, which is remember. Remember your story. Remember where you came from. Everything gets messed up when we forget how unlikely it is that we would ever come to know God. You shouldn't know him. We were all far off. But then Paul goes on, and he says, but now. so you were, and then but now. He says, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what we got to see is that divide between Jew and Gentile was massive. Uh, the Jews said at that time, they said that the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. And the animosity went both ways. At, on the Temple Mount, you know, Paul references in this passage a wall of hostility and some scholars think he's actually referring to an actual wall that existed on the Temple Mount, which uh, prevented the Gentiles from progressing any further toward the Temple. And on the wall, it said, if you are a Gentile and you pass beyond this point, you have yourself to blame for your own death. Okay. What could bridge a gap like that, a hostility like that? What could make these two groups go on to worship God and live life together and be in community together? And the answer that Paul gives is the blood of Christ. And he talks about abolishing the law. And he's talking about circumcision. And he's talking about things like sacrifices of atonement. And what he points out is, like, these, these no longer apply because they're fulfilled in Christ. The point of them was to point 
people toward their need of a Savior so that, for instance, when a spotless lamb of God would finally show up, people would recognize it. And so Jesus has fulfilled that now. It no longer applies, and it actually shows us our need for a Savior uh, so that we can understand that and cling to him. And so he says, Jesus is our peace. He himself is our peace in that we all needed him to die. You know, a lot of people look at a passage like this and they say, oh, isn't that great? Even people who are far off can be brought near. And that would be to miss the point. The point of it is to say, only people that are far off can be brought near. That's, people that are far off is all that there is. I heard a story recently about a woman here in town who, it was about her, she was diagnosed with cancer, it was terminal cancer, she was given a couple of years to live and uh, began to cope with that reality, you know, they did some treatment, it was chemotherapy, it was like, this has a chance of maybe doing something, but it's probably not going to work, and lo and behold, she prayed, other people around her prayed, and She's like getting better now. You know, the doctors are amazed and it's this very moving story of this woman who was preparing to die and now she's preparing to like live out the rest of her life and be healthy again. And I want you to imagine a if that was your story and then going on to look upon cancer patients with contempt. It's unthinkable, right? Well, that's exactly what we are doing when we scoff at anyone for any shortcoming, for any mark of being an outsider. You know, when we withhold forgiveness, when we refuse to reconcile, you know, when there's any like, type of person that we don't associate with or any type of person that we kind of look down on or sneer at, uh, when there's a type of person who doesn't belong, all of that is to resist the cross and resist the blood of Christ. Uh, because the cross says we were doomed. We were all far off, but God is a God who draws us near. And the only explanation that you're anywhere near God is the blood of Christ shed for you. And we have that in common with everyone. Okay? You see how only the cross can do that, like bring people together? Do you see how like telling people to be kind to one another isn't going to work compared to how the cross can work? Okay, so how does Paul wrap it up? He says, you were, but now, so then. So then, you, Ephesian Christians, he's writing to, are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints, apostles, and prophets. Uh, remember, he's addressing Ephesians, uh, people from Ephesus who were worshiping Artemis, and he says, you've been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus, and he tells them, you're as in as anyone. You're as in as anyone else. You know all those stories about the prophets and the kings of Israel and how God worked back then in the Old Testament? Those are your stories. doesn't matter if you're not from there doesn't matter if you're new to it all. Those are yours. In the church, there are no degrees of being in. Like you're either out because you reject Jesus or you're 
all the way in, and there's no in-between. And Paul gives us this picture to help us understand. It's this picture of a building with Jesus as the cornerstone, and it's this way of saying we're all stones. We're being built up into a building, and the point of that is the commonality, right? We're all just building blocks in a structure, and we have the same basic story. And the building is actually the temple of God. This is where God is found. This is the place where you will encounter God, which is interesting because if you look at like a lot of covers of Christian books, they usually have like a nature scene on them. You know, like a calm sea or a mountainscape or a path in the woods or something like that. And not, I don't, you know, those are all really good things, but uh, they give the impression that, you know, if you really want to encounter God, you ought to like go into nature or something like that. And again, going into nature is great. You should do it. But God is found among his people. God's more likely to be found here or at the father-daughter dance, or at an RPI group, than he is on a hike in the woods. Because this is where the stories of the people of God are being worked out together. God is among his people who are gathered from far off. Uh, He's found among people who have no reason to be in community together, except that they share the same story that God has gathered them. And as the Bible progresses, uh, it ends with the book of Revelation, and there's this picture of a multitude gathered, and they're from every tribe and tongue and nation, and they all look different from each other, and they shouldn't be together except that Jesus is their Savior. And what that's saying is, like, you have more in common with, like, a Christian in a slum in Kenya than you do maybe with people in your own blood family or with people worshiping in China in a house church than you do with people you're related to because you have the same story as them. And so we ought to be about building the church. You know, what else is more important than building up the church, bringing people that are far off into our community of people that have been gathered from far off. And surely that's going to mean, I think, individually stepping out into the lives of people we might not kind of relate to naturally, Uh, befriending people who are not natural for us to befriend, but doing so because in them we can see the image of God. We can see the commonality that we share. Uh, Stepping out into people that are difficult to love and loving them anyway because we were difficult to love. Uh, People that we really have to work hard to understand because it's hard to understand me. Now, that is hard. You know, if you just think about everything on your plate and then you add in like difficult relationships to that and relationships that you have to work at, that is hard. So how can we do it? How can you actually love people for their sake and reconcile with people and get along with people? How can we all worship together and work out conflict together and how can we pursue people? And the answer that Paul gives is just remember. Remember. First of all, remember, you were so far off. None of us should know God. But he's brought us near. And secondly, remember, to save you, Jesus had to become far off. 
Like, no one looks more far off than a Jewish man dying on a Roman cross, suffocating to death, crying out to his God who won't answer, naked, while a crowd mocks him. He did that to bring you in. That's your story. He did it because he loves you. He's a lover. And that's our story. And if that's our story, you know, what if we lived like it was our story? What would this community be like? What kind of blessing would this community be to Knoxville if we lived like that was our story? If we stepped out into our lives and brought people into this community and we lived out that story together. Uh, Let me pray for us in closing that God would do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, you know how quick we are to forget our story and prop ourselves up, so we pray that you would allow this story, this gospel, to penetrate deep into our hearts. I pray that uh, those who are far off would find a place in this church of full of far-off people, and uh, that we would live it out, that you'd give us endurance in pursuing people like you do, and that you'd be our help, and that you'd be glorified in our midst. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.